Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. My guest today is someone who is passionate about helping others in dealing with the number one fear, public speaking. Not kidding here. The vast majority of people, 73 to 75%, rank fear of public speaking as number one, according to the National Institutes of Mental Health. Amy Ayub is the founder of The Zen Speaker, a public speaking coaching company based in Las Vegas. She helps clients share their stories, find peace behind the podium, and move audiences to action. For everything about Amy Ayub, go to thezenspeaker.com, and you can follow her on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Amy Ayub. And Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's always great being with you, Ira. This is going to be a lot of fun. Given your unique background, a political fundraiser, the first female appointed to the Nevada State Athletic Commission, also known as the Boxing Commission, and most importantly, the subject of a recent film called The Zen Speaker, Breaking the Silence, which documents your journey from a tumultuous childhood in Las Vegas to testifying before the Nevada State Legislature in 2013 regarding a bill designed to fight sex trafficking. With all of that background, how did you decide to coach others in public speaking? How did you end up where you're now that person? Let me see. It goes all the way back to when I was a teenager and I was in an all-girls school and some Toastmasters, two people from Toastmasters, the group that works on public speaking, they showed up and there was some connection immediately. It was just, I felt like that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to stand up in front of people and speak. I actually felt the fact that they were helping others learn how to do it was something that I connected with. And it was just that one time, but it affected me greatly, and I used what they taught me during the rest of the time I was at that school. But then it kind of faded away, and it was just in the back of my mind. Then as I started my various careers, one as a financial planner and, and as a fundraiser, I really started seeing that people's problems that they thought were around money or being able to raise money for campaigns or nonprofits where they were focusing on the problem being, how do we get this money? The problem was really that they weren't communicating effectively. That's why they weren't getting what they wanted. So I moved away from the fundraising career that I had. I had my own business for about 12 years, working with nonprofits and political campaigns, and opened the Zen Speaker. And it really has proven that it's right, that it's all about the communication. The message we send is not always the message that people receive. The goal of my classes is to help people make sure that the message they send is the message that people receive. Why is that a case of what they used to call telephone? One person tells another, and then another person tells another, and the communication <laughs> gets all weird. And here, what you're helping people do is talking to a group at one time and still getting their communication wrong. So why, why do you, is, it, is it just fear, or is it just they don't know techniques to focus on what the message is? I think it's just a combination of things because most people that come to my classes are fearful of public speaking, but there are many that aren't. And I always say, don't mistake being comfortable with being compelling. So very those, good point. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, right? You've seen those people that are oh, very yes. comfortable and they go, oh, I could speak forever. Go, yeah, that's what we're afraid of. <laughs> so, that's actually sometimes harder to coach people like that because they get compliments because they're not afraid to speak. And most people in an audience are afraid to speak. So if they see somebody stand up on stage without throwing up, they think they're great. 
Yes, there's a sense of ease about the person up on the podium. And even if they're just talking gobbledygook, they just have that ease about them. Yeah. But I think we just don't put the effort into what we're saying. I've also learned there's just different styles of speaking in my basic speaking class. I give an assessment. It's called What's My Communication Style? And it shows the different styles that people have. And there's not a good or bad style. There's just different strengths and weaknesses for each one. But those styles can collide also. So if somebody's really direct and then they're talking to somebody who is what what they call spirited, storyteller, talks a lot, that direct person won't hear how they just kind of cut them off. Where somebody that is what they call a considerate style will get hurt by a direct person being cut off, right? And that direct person doesn't even know that they hurt them. So there's all kinds of collisions of styles that happen that we think are personality clashes. You think you just don't like somebody. And when you look into it, it's like, oh, that's their style. Let me see if I can adjust and fit their style to get the result I want. Right? So it's not giving up your style, but it's using the knowledge you have about other people's styles. So that's sometimes why we don't understand each other. And by the way, Texting and emailing has added significantly to that problem. I mean, have you ever had a misunderstanding over a text? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> because we can't hear the tone of the person. We can't see their facial expression. So somebody might say, I need that report at 4 o'clock, but we hear, I need that damn report at 4 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember. So we're upset they don't know what they did. Yeah, I remember getting an email from someone, they, that, and they said something, and they were saying it in their mind, humorously, but I took it as literally. And because they were normally, this person wasn't known for their sense of humor. So I took offense and wrote back a little sarcastically about it. And then they said, oh, I was just joking, which I think they were, but I just didn't see it. So that's an example of what you were talking about. Yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah. So much of, of speech is emotion laden. So if you're addressing an audience, do you have to keep that in check, or do you use it to your advantage, or how does that work? In other words, when you're... I think you use it to the audience's advantage. Okay. You know, the, in my classes, I say you get extra credit if you cry, you know, the, because I think when you show... What makes a great speaker is being authentic. The more authentic someone is, the more they're, they're themselves and they're conversational, the more we connect with them. And that's what makes us walk away saying, I love that speaker, that was a great speaker. It wasn't because the person was perfect. It wasn't because they stood a certain way and used certain vocabulary. It was because we felt connected to them. And the way you do that is by telling your story, sharing some stories. It doesn't have to be your deepest, darkest secret, like I blurted out in front of the legislature. Yes, exactly. in, In a personal story to connect to whatever that topic is you're telling so that they can see that you really understand what you're talking about, that you have personal experience with it. But Amy, aren't you asking a lot of a speaker who is learning public speaking and is fearful of it just in general without any emotional sharing? It's called glossophobia, which is fear of public speaking. And when someone comes up to speak in front of, say, 20 people or 30 people, they're nervous enough right there. And now you're asking them also to be comfortable enough to share some emotional material, too. How do you make them get through that barrier? Because it's my belief that they're going to remain afraid until they break through that. I believe that the fear is about exposure. 
There's no technique, there's no magic wand to wave and say you're not going to be fearful anymore until you address whatever that shame is you're feeling. It does not mean that you have to go around the world talking about whatever that shame is, and I have yet to find somebody who doesn't have some, (laughs) but it means to talk about it someplace in a safe place. Many times that's my class, luckily. It's been beautiful. It sounds a little bit, but it sounds a little bit, Amy, like combination of technical information on how to do certain things from a public speaking standpoint, but really also a little therapy in that sense. And I'm not a therapist. No, I know. Of course. Yes. We're, I often have one in my class. So. Right. And, and I don't play one on TV, so neither one right. of us are qualified. But it's, it sounds like it's therapeutic in that sense that you're encouraging people to break yes. through their shame in order to be a much more effective public speaker. Yes, it, it absolutely is. And we do a lot of bonding in that first class so that people do feel comfortable. And some people never do open up, but most people do. And again, I don't want people to misunderstand me because it's not always a deep, dark secret. It's just some shame they might have had about something that nobody else would feel is a big deal at all. Sure. I remember I remember one person that there was a really deep shame that they had that they didn't pass the bar exam the first time because they were from a family of attorneys and politicians and that had all passed it first and they hadn't and they felt silly comparing that you know compared to some other people's stories and but nobody should feel silly it's it's what you're it's your true feeling it's real to you and it can stop you from opening up and i've just come to see over these years of coaching that until somebody breaks through that Again, in in a safe place. It doesn't have to be in my class or out in the public. Until somebody breaks through that fear of their shame being exposed, they're never truly themselves. So to tell somebody to be authentic, to be real, they don't even know what that is. And I feel like a lot of the walls that people put up is because they have this tremendous subconscious fear that if they open up at all, that secret will come out. And so they don't open up at all. And I've seen people not tell any kind of story that relates to maybe a failure in whatever topic they're talking about. Or maybe if you were talking about your career, that you could share with people some failures or some challenges you had. There's people that won't do that at all. Because, again, they're afraid of showing any of themselves will show a part they don't want to show. So until they can get through that. And I've had people in class where they did share something very personal, sometimes very traumatic. And then they never talked about it again, but it totally changed how they presented their material. There was one person in particular that that cried and shared a very traumatic experience of abuse as a child. And then she said, I don't know why I said that. I'm never, I don't want to talk. That's not what I want to talk about. I don't want to advocate against it. I don't want to talk about it. And I said, "You, you don't have to. And you know, we all just gave her love and support. And then the next speech she gave, she opened up about a childhood memory of being on stage and being pushed on stage by her aunt and that being the memory where she never wanted to be in public again. And that connected to her fear of public speaking. So she was able to tell that story that she had never told again that wasn't shameful But she couldn't have even told that before until she got the the deeper story out. 
Well, you have obviously a lot of empathy. Does that cause you to have a lot of pain when you have some of your people that you work with, your clients, when they break through those barriers? Does it overwhelm you as well? It doesn't. I, I do feel it, but I feel the release so much more strongly than I feel the pain that that helps me get through it. Because I know that feeling. I know that feeling of as painful as it is, the release and the freedom that comes with it is so healing. You know, technology has its good and bad sides. And I was curious whether you are able to work with people outside of where you're based. In other words, using either Zoom or the phone or other means. Do you find that you have clients around the world because you're able to do that through technology? Yes, I was having my classes in person before COVID. And once that started and I started having the classes on Zoom, I did fear at first that the bonding that we do in that first class would be lacking over Zoom, but it has proven to be just as strong. It's been really beautiful to watch. And so through that, I've been able to have people from other states join the classes. I also have a friend who has a lot of clients in Denmark, and he has connected me to them. He had me do a webinar. He talks about changing your mindset is what he coaches on. So he asked me to come in and speak on communication, and I did. And now I have quite a few clients from Denmark. So it's opened up my world of coaching a lot. I love it. Oh, yes. You're crossing all kinds of borders, being able yeah. to connect with people. And again, Amy's website is thezenspeaker.com. And Amy, when you started down this road, you clearly, from an early age, you talked about Toastmasters. And I think I did take one time a little Toastmasters, but you can go through several levels with that. But the fact that it stuck with you and then you came back to it later on in life, were there any particular people that motivated you the most to pursue this career of yours? In other words, was there somebody that had a major impact on your decision to do this now? Yes, I went to a seminar that somebody recommended, and it had four public speakers talking about public speaking, communication. It was over a weekend, and this was in 2009. One of the people was Craig Valentine, and I loved everything about him. He I connected with him. He was a great storyteller. He was personable. He was interesting. Good energy. He had written a book that wasn't published. It was coming out right after that seminar called World Class Speaking. I bought that book as soon as it came out and I loved it. It's like if I wrote a book on speaking, this would have been it. I believe everything he says. This is I agree with it. It's written to be read easily, given that he gives a lot of examples, to make everything clear. And then immediately following the release of the book, he started a speaking coaching certification program. And I signed up for that so that I could get the structure. I knew what I believed made a good speech and helped people get through some fear of speaking, but I didn't have the structure. And so going through his certification program helped me with that. I told some friends that I was doing that and they were signing up. They said, like, I'm ready. <laughs> you don't have to have your certification. I'm ready to sign up now. And so as soon as that class finished, I had my first class with 10 people. And that's, I keep my classes to about 10 people. Yeah, that's a good number. Does Craig Valentine, do you think he sends out Valentine Day cards? 
<laughs> I think you should suggest that. Yeah, I think it would actually be a nice little touch. So, <laughs> now I noticed we're talking about, I'm sorry, I have to inject occasionally a little or you, or nonsense. Eye, yeah, exactly. Uh, I notice why when I slide in front of a microphone, I can do that without thinking twice. But when I speak before a group, I still get a little nervous. And I don't know the difference because I guess if you're in a radio or television studio, it's less hectic than standing in front of a podium and you've got 30, 40, 50, 100,000 people in front of you. I've always noticed that difference. I like the ability to communicate via microphone and camera, but, and I do do public speaking, but not, a, you know, you, you're the one that's the expert. So what is it about that, that when you get up there, even if you're comfortable in other medium or in other media, that just gives you the jitters? Or is it maybe something positive that you do have some of the jitters? I think that most of us still get some kind of excitement, right? There's a, it could be nervousness, but it's not paralyzing. Like people feel that really avoid public speaking and miss out on a lot of opportunities because they avoid it. It's not that same feeling, but I think there's always just a little performance. You know, you want to do well. When we, we have that desire, right, as humans to want to do well at whatever we're doing. I think there's a little bit of that. I think in your case, it's the difference of eyes looking back at you, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. that's a good point. <laughs> it's like, oh, they see me. Yeah, exactly. Is my tie on straight or is there a stain <laughs> on my feel- shirt? <laughs> <laughs> your feeling is the opposite of most people that I run into because once they get over the fear of getting up in front of a group and speaking, they usually still have the fear of being interviewed, getting in front of a microphone, especially in front of a camera. There's tremendous fear of that. That is I think unusual. they feel like they have less control. Interesting. But you, I, I don't know, is it a way, and this is maybe too psychological for our discussion, but is there a way to just accept that we're all powerless in terms of what the reaction of an audience will be, and maybe that's the way to calm down? That's part of it. And also realizing that people aren't driving across town and paying money to come see you to judge you. (laughs) They're coming there because you're offering some information that they want to hear. And I believe that the level of our fear of being judged depends on the level that we're judging ourselves. We're really projecting. We're the ones judging ourselves. Why am I doing this? Who am I to be talking about this? You know, the imposter syndrome Yes. That people feel it really is that it's so it's working on the self-judgment that it will take away the fear of being judged that's fascinating it's also absolutely I've... we work with affirmations and visualization quite a bit and i even made some recordings one on affirmations around speaking and one on the visualization because that's what's needed there's some breathing exercises that can be done to help the physical part of the fear, but it's that self-talk that you have to change in order to be able to stand up there without feeling paralyzed that uh, the people are judging you because it is coming from within. That's fascinating. I never thought about it that way. There's the old suggestion that if you can imagine your audience all naked, that that also helps you calm down because it's <laughs> be horrifying. That yeah. horrifying? <laughs> well, that's what I heard. That if you think of them all just sitting there naked, that it it becomes more manageable in the sense of what you're presenting. I 
beg to differ, but okay, <laughs> I, that's what I heard. If it works, like whatever works for you, <laughs> I do think we start, have to start thinking of your audience instead of yourself. Yes. So you know, in that realm of service, right? How, what can I give to my audience? What do I know that would help them? What information or experiences do I have that could benefit them in some way and making it about them? What's the benefit to them? And it's in a sense depersonalizing it so you're not yes. focused on yourself. You are right. focused on, as you say, giving information to the audience. And right. once you realize you're in what you just said in service to the audience, that does relax you and or should relax you and just you can concentrate on what you want to communicate, which goes back to the old communications again. Right. Yeah, instead of working on being perfect, which there is no such thing, if you concentrate and focus on how can I connect, how can I connect with right. the audience? Yeah, that's an interesting concept. And I appreciate you sharing some of this with our audience. For more of it, again, you can go to the zenspeaker.com and find out all kinds of interesting things about Amy and her business, but also the documentary that's on there too, which they can find out, again, that I referenced earlier, called the Zen Speaker Breaking the Silence. Amy, what was the youngest age of a speaker that you coached? There was one young girl that was nine or 10, and she was going to give a presentation in front of her class that her parents asked me to help her with. She was wonderful and very open and very coachable. And she, did she feel she succeeded after talking with you? Yes. Yes, she did. Oh, that's great. How about the oldest age of a speaker that you coached? Mm. Somebody in their 80s, 90s, 100 even? 80s. 80s. Okay, good. Yeah. You know, there's that canard that says, you you know, an old dog cannot learn new tricks, but clearly <laughs> you can coach an 80-year-old to be better than he or she uh, was before in terms of public speaking. Absolutely. Anybody that's open to coaching, anybody that's open to looking at it in a different way and letting go of the fear is able to change. From a global perspective, uh, between the COVID issue and technology, will there still be a need for in-person public speaking. Do you think we'll ever get back to what I would call somewhat normal times where you had groups get together to hear a speaker? I've heard them starting to do that now. So there's definitely some companies that are having their in-person conferences and associations are gathering for their conferences and conventions, and they're still having people come in person. So you're still going to see people wanting to talk to people in front of groups, and so you're not going to see a, a diminution of your work because of the fact that we're mostly now online or on Zoom or on the phone, et cetera. No, and even during COVID, they were hiring people. I know Craig is an example of somebody I personally know that was hired quite often to give keynote speeches via Zoom. Yeah, that, that's a whole other way of going. Craig Valentine, I was just thinking um, if he decided to just do comedy, it would be my funny Valentine. Sorry, I couldn't resist. It's it's you and me, Amy, so I've got to... <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm going to recommend that he listens to this or not. <laughs> Blame it on me. I'm okay. I have broad shoulders. <laughs> so what did we... <laughs> well, I just got focused on the word Valentine. It just came out. So <laughs> uh, the... <laughs> what do you say is your strongest motivation for doing what you do now? I think... Seeing the difference in people, this to me, the speaking classes and the, the co speaking coaching, it, just recently I started thinking about it in a different way. I, it's like those 
firewalks that Tony Robbins and others take people through or the ropes courses. People do those extreme exercises to get over the fear. Walking over hot coals and all yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's honestly like it's called a speaking class, but it's so much more than that. It's breaking through the fear of public speaking, but that tends to allow you to break through other fears that are holding you back. So I've I've seen and heard from a lot of students how much more confidence they have in all areas of their life. So to to see that difference is so rewarding. How much does the mind play in all of this? I know you just mentioned about walking over hot coals, and I actually did that about 20 years ago up in Mount Charleston near Las Vegas, for our listeners who may not know where Mount Charleston is. And there was, I forget the name of the organization, I think it was Rapport. Mm -hmm. And we walked over coals, and it sort of, I remember the Teddy Roosevelt admonition, walk softly but carry a big stick. So I was going to walk the coals but carry a first aid kit. You know, I, I didn't have 100% confidence on that, but it, it worked, so I, I was okay. So, <laughs> but how much does the mind, how much does that mind play into this, all of this? Uh, public speaking, your, your ability to work with people, do you have to rework their thinking process, or is more just what you talked about, authenticity and being able to conquer that fear, and then everything is okay, or is it also a mind game to some extent? It is a mind game. I mean, I think it's a mind game to get to your authenticity, even, right? We, we don't, until we stop the mind games we play with ourselves, we talk to ourselves in ways that we would never talk to another human being, like, or we wouldn't let somebody else talk to us like that. They really mean things to ourselves. So I think that it's definitely the, the mind game that you have to conquer. It's that self-talk, which is usually very disruptive and very vicious in some cases. And is that something that when you coach your clients on that, is there some recidivism in that so that they come back to you and say, well, I was doing fine, but all of a sudden I had this issue and and I was doing a speech and this thing came up and I need to come back for a tune-up. I don't remember anybody saying that specifically, but people have come back because they felt that they didn't put their all into the first time and they, but they benefited enough or they saw the benefit enough that they wanted to come back and be more focused. I've also had people come back just because they wanted, they liked it and wanted to do it again and felt that they'd benefit. I have somebody currently in a current class that had taken a previous class. That makes sense. Yeah. I did have somebody come to me that had that said that he was very comfortable speaking, was always getting good reviews of his speaking. And then he started working for a new boss who criticized him and he totally shut down and could not get up in front of a group again without being petrified. It totally shut him down. So he came to the class and, and worked through that again. But it was a reminder of how, our, how powerful our words are. They are. Before we end, what would be the one tip you would give people who are just starting to think about public speaking and they know they're fearful of it? And before they would come and contact you, they could at least have this one little tip that would help them get through the initial stages. Well, the first thing I would say is to be gentle with yourself and to know that you can be calm, confident, and compelling when you speak. You absolutely can do it with very 
few techniques and exercises that you learn, you'll be able to conquer that fear. Well, that's a great way to end it. My guest has been Amy Ayub, the founder of The Zen Speaker, a public speaking coaching company based in Las Vegas. For everything about Amy Ayub, go to thezenspeaker.com and you can follow her on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Amy Ayub. Amy, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. I appreciate you so much, Ira. Thanks, Amy. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.